Okay, Tintan, you were, you asked the question in regard to Kuna uh, Dita Upeka, the four Brahma Viharas, in regard to why are they hard to do? Yep. All right. We can take the they out of it and plug in why is everything so hard to do? And then we can look at the word hard because hard has more to do with the emotional way we feel about things than it does the actual strenuousness of the effort that it takes to do it. Uh Okay, it has a lot to do then with attitude. An example of that is, is that the mom goes into the kitchen she takes a whiff and recognizes the garbage really needs to go out. And so she calls her son, Johnny, take the garbage out. Now he's got a job to do and it's hard work, but he will do it because he knows the consequences. And so he picks up the garbage and he takes it out. Yep. But it's hard. Now, never mind mom. Johnny walks into the kitchen and he gets a a load of how bad that stuff stinks. Whoo! And so what does he do? He happily, joyfully picks that stuff out, picks that stuff up and takes it out. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Now that's where we're coming from with this. What's the point? Okay, back to that original statement that I made, and that is... (laughs) Why is it so hard? The answer is because we value our children too much. And how does that come about? That means that we see the child as important, and so we teach the child about importance. Uh And things that become important become hard because they've got a value to them. That is beyond us. The value is like mom telling us to take the garbage out rather than the wake up of actually smelling the garbage and recognizing for ourselves that it needs to be taken out. In other words, we build up this system called would, shoulds, and coulds that Eric Byrne calls the parent ego state. And somehow in there, there's the ideal world, something like that garbage don't stink. Yeah. Okay. And then when mom is confronted with garbage does stink, then she thinks it's important. Because it's important because it goes against her magical thinking. So this is part of what happens is, is that our magical thinking that we get from one from parent to child, from parent to child, down generation after generation, um, is is the cause of this. And the um, the handle for all of this magical thinking is things are important. Well, in fact, they're not. Yep. Things are important. Yeah, well, if they're important, then that means that they've got to be done whether I feel like doing them or not. I've got a job to do, and so now we get into the habit of doing things 
that we don't want to do because we've been told and we believe that they're important. Mm. Okay. And what I'm just describing now is what the Buddha talks about, the woeful state of being an animal. Yeah. Doing what we're supposed to do, do what we need to do, do what we have to do, do the important things, whether we want to do it or not. Yep. Guess what? Ta-da! Metta now is being taught all over the place. Metta is being taught at the temple, is being taught on the website, on uh, everybody on Reddit thinks that Metta is wonderful, and therefore it's important. Yep. Therefore it becomes something that we should do. And how do we do things that, that are important, that should be done? We do it like a dumb animal. We do it because we should do it. We do it because it's a good idea. It's a marvelous idea. It's a wonderful idea. It's even an important idea. And the higher we jack that thing up, the <laughs> and the more important it gets, doesn't increase our motivation. Our motivation oh. is still stuck down at the bottom of this is too much work to do. Which is exactly what we started off this whole conversation about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> is that it's too much work. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Everything is just too much work. And that's why we don't enjoy it. Is because it's too much work because the work is too important. But when we recognize, oh, wait a minute, things are really not important that we can leave toys as toys. The toys do not have to become important. See, when we're kids, everything's a toy. We play with it. It's the parents who tell us, oh, don't play with it. It's too important. Yep. That's my wristwatch. You can't wear my wristwatch around. You mm -hmm. might break it. It's an important thing, you see, and it's just our whole society is set up like that. Yep. And so we teach importance to the children. And why do we do that? It's because we see them important also. <laughs> yeah. And I so see that. We, yeah, so because we think our child is important, we teach them importance. <clears throat> And importance is not taught well. If we could teach it that it was fun to do. In other words, if homework was done because it was fun, then it wouldn't be so hard. But instead, mostly homework by the child is done because it's important. Mom thinks it's important. The teacher thinks it's important. You got to do it, right? And so we we mess our kids up one generation after another after another with that simple concept. Yep. The question is, how do we come out of it? And the answer is, well, it's important to come out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you find most people in Dhamma, in Buddhism. It's important to get out of it. Therefore, they want and desire 
of enlightenment. Uh And the real enlightenment is, it's not important. Turn it loose. Let it go. That's the right way to look. It's just, just make everything easy. Things are not important. Things are toys to play with. Yeah. Your body is an enormously magnificent toy to play with, to investigate. Uh-huh. What, does, yep. what does the kid do? I've, I've seen my daughter. She takes those dolls apart. She doesn't just unrobe them and disrest them. Sometimes to, to, dis, to d- take the dress off to put another one on, you have to take the head off. <laughs> the clothes are made that way. And so she takes them. Now she'll take the leg and everything apart. And now she's got a whole drawer full, but she can put them back together again if she wants to. Mm-hmm. But if we gave her an expensive doll, then the idea of expensive means now it's an important doll, which means now she can't play with it. Yeah. She might destroy it. (laughs) She did all the cheap ones. To be honest, most of these dolls are Barbie knockoffs. Mm -hmm. They wind up being a dollar or so a piece as opposed to the real Barbies, which are $20 or more now. And those kids can't that have the real Barbie, they can't play with them so much. They yeah. can't pull them apart because they're too expensive and they're more, too important. Have to take care of them. <sighs> Isn't that amazing? So this is the seat of all of our problems, is that things are important, and that we have to do things whether we want to do it or not. And so we wind up doing a whole lot of stuff we don't want to do. Yep. But if we could teach our children from the beginning to enjoy what you're doing, then the kid would enjoy doing the homework and enjoy getting the good grades and being able to show it off. Look at what I did, you know, and the teacher's checking off everything, right? Now, there's two points in that. One is the point is when the child was actually doing the homework. And then it's the showing off of the homework after the teacher has checked everything off. Right? Both of them can get that second one, but the one who enjoys it the most is the one who also enjoyed the actual doing it and not just the reward. Yeah. But most of us are living a life of, I've got to do this hard work and slave and work for it. And then sometime later, after it's all checked off by the teacher, now I can show it off and I get my reward. All right. That's the whole idea of karma. Is you do good and someday eventually you'll get a good result. Or if you do bad, eventually someday you'll get a bad result. But the Buddha says, no, let's put that right into context right now. Because the more time it takes between the cause and the result, the less likely they're directly connected. That you might be able to see the connection, but by the time that things have happened, more events have happened and more influences come about. But then that doesn't mean that you should, you shouldn't dislike everything. 
No. We're talking about let's like things right now in the present moment and get used to liking things and being satisfied with things right now. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have another now and we can be satisfied then too. Mm-hmm. As opposed to most of us saying, well, we have to be dissatisfied now. It's useful and valuable that I can feel good about it later. So while I'm doing it, I don't feel good, but I know it's good to do and I should do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Christian Bible has that in the sense of, of the widow's might. That the really wealthy dude goes up and drops his offering in the plate with all pomp and circumstance and everything like that. Look at me. But the widow only has a might. But she goes in and in she gets joy and satisfaction and possibly the also the understanding that this was a sacrifice for her okay she's getting the benefit for that might right now that's what that teaching is is that uh to where um uh the rich man he puts in his uh, uh bag of gold because he expects some reward for it later, adulation from the crowd or maybe a special high office in the church or something like that, to where the widow doesn't expect anything from her might other than the fact that she's giving it right now. Yeah. This is, again, the whole idea, going back to the idea of of the dumb animal doing good things without getting the result. You probably heard my story that I actually saw this. This was a donkey that was in India with a pole strapped to its back. And that pole then led to a grinding stone. So as the donkey walked around this mill, it pulled that uh, 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 tree trunk limb thick, you know, about this big, about four, six inches around to turn this mill. And the attendant put um sugarcane in it and then below the mill he had a cup so that he could collect the juice and he would sell that juice i mean here you are you want sugarcane he says how many two three oh one cup okay and he takes out the stalk and he puts it in there and the, the donkey grinds it up and here's your cup of juice talking about fresh <laughs> Donkey don't get no juice. No. The donkey did all the work and he got no benefit. Yep. Talking about the industrial society, that's where we find ourselves, that most people, in fact, don't get the benefit of their labor. The bosses, the managers, the shareholders, they're the ones who get the benefit of the labor. So no wonder people are pissed off. Yeah. Except they say no escape from it. There is an escape. And that is that the donkey could, in fact, enjoy making for people. If that's his job, and he's going to have to do it anyway. So doing it is not a choice. But liking doing it, that's the choice. 
So anapanasati, in a way, is nothing but the practice of getting in the habit of being a happy, dumb animal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, about that, that word dumb, who's dumber, the unhappy, dumb animal doing the work or the happy animal doing the work? Definitely the happy one. Yeah, he's not quite so dumb now, is he? At least he's enjoying his life. Reminds me of the Dompey in the movies uh, um, uh, Shrek. I vaguely remember. Okay. Eddie Got Murphy. a happy donkey. Got a happy donkey in Shrek. Yeah. I think, in fact, he's married to a female flying dragon. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, there are such things as happy donkeys. And we can do that, too. That there are some jobs that we have to do, and we can do it with joy and aplomb, or we can be unhappy. Yeah. One of the examples of that is, for me, is I've got once a year to go get a visa. And it's a lot of work because it's a retirement visa. It winds up 20 pieces of paper oh, and then wow. you have to stand in a long line and then they go over the paper and there's something wrong here or there or whatever and sometimes it takes twice or three times so there's a lot of effort that's required to do that the question is can I enjoy the process be friends with the lady or am I going to be grumpy if I'm grumpy her job is all the harder that in fact, one time, and I talked to Robert about this several years ago, that I felt that this lady didn't like me. All right. What I came to understand is, no, she does not like it when she has to do a retirement visa. Because it's not just a whole lot of work for me, it's a whole lot of work for her too. Mm -hmm. So I might as well make her job as easy on her as possible, because we both got work we don't want to do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And so you see a of attitude. I have to change my attitude. I changed my attitude even better than that, though. Now I have a firm do it for me, and I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go over to the other island. So um, the idea, though, is what I said. If I know that I the, the heavy-duty visa that I've got to do, is heavy for me, then it's heavy for her to check everything out too. Might as well make her job as easy on her as we can. Yep. To not pester her, is it my turn, is it my turn, or anything like that. Just sit there and wait, because she doesn't want to see you. <laughs> she yep. knows who you are. <laughs> she saw you before and you're a retirement visa, and you can wait to the back of the line. <laughs> So, this is the way that we begin to understand we can do that with our whole life. Yeah. But we have to practice. We have to practice getting in that really good state over and over and over again until it becomes, um, let us say, the new habit. So that our, our joy, our pity, our, um, we're, I'm referring now to the Sambhujana, 
because you and I talked about that sutta enough. We didn't go over it in as great a detail as I did with Brian, but that the distinction between those who teach metta and the teachings of the Buddha is this concept of uh, the seven factors of enlightenment, that you cannot practice metta because you will be over, overwhelmed and overcome with the misery of the world when you're practicing it, as opposed to you've got to have enough joy, you have to have unremitting sati, unremitting remember, I'm up here, I've got to do this, this is, this is the moment, wakey, wakey, Look at what's going on. And um, uh, we have the energy for it, but then the next item on the list is unremitting joy. Uh-huh. Unremitting winner's attitude. I can manage this grumpy situation happily. And so we can then reflect, well, what situations do I get into when, I, when I'm not dealing in joy and happiness, when I don't have that unremitting joy and so we'll mark that down okay visas next time i go get a visa i'm going to do it with great joy i'm going to remember that i'm going to put it on my list visas joy okay and then we can say ah going to the dentist that's (laughs) another one (laughs) let's do dentist too and so we put down joy as um for the dentist often, so we start making a list of the things that we find hard to do, and then we get ready to go do those things, knowing that we're going to do it joyfully, mindfully, with the right effort, which is energetic now, to keep looking, keep investigating. And so without the seven factors of enlightenment, the Sambhojana, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka is really, really hard. <laughs> Why? Because it's so important. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, again, the ignorant way of looking at it. Just ignorance. So that's the answer to your question. Why is Metta so hard? It's because we don't have the skills for it. And we started off with the wrong attitude that we grew up with, the attitude that things were important, things were hard to do, and we have to do it anyway, and then we do it kind of half-heartedly again. That I think that that's what, uh, the, uh, in the Bible, they point to this in the sense of, um, with all thy uh, strength, all thy soul and all, or all thy might and all thy mind, or whatever the, the term is in there, is, is that uh, we, we have to use the strength. And that's that unremitting energy. That's the strength that we have, that we can come with this strongly. But we also have to do it mindfully, to open the mind and see that anything that we do is worth doing correctly. And the correctly is not to, to do to get the right outcome that you want, but to do the process correctly. Uh-huh. To go through the motions of doing it with joy, with happiness, etc. That, in fact, um, points back to the practice of Zen, that that's what Zen is all about. And a very good way of seeing that 
is Zen and the art of archery. You know, they still have um, universities, I guess, of archery in in Japan. Okay. Of, of, of making the bows. They've got some videos on YouTube. It's really great. But the point is getting the postures down exactly correctly. The movements, the step by step, the breathing, the drawing of the arrow, everything is set. Um, and that any deviation from those movements then will be the failure, but the failure can be seen in the arrow doesn't land. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> one of the examples that I've seen of that, some of these, some of the archers pr uh, practice and do um, exhibitions on horseback. Uh-huh. And that in one of these videos, it shows the point that he missed in getting the arrow. And they knew a half a second before he even got that shot off. Because he missed getting the arrow correctly. Mm -hmm. All right. That's so interesting. This and so uh, in another scene, you can see where uh, they're standing and drawing the bow. And that after, and so here's one point. That if you shoot an arrow with these two fingers around the arrow tip here, that gives you a lot of strength, gives you time to aim. But when you let those fingers loose, they come off one at a time and that it does have an effect upon the arrow. So what they do in Japan is, is that they use the thumb and the index finger like an ordinary unschooled archer in the West would, except that you don't have the strength this way and you cannot hold the arrow fully gauged until yeah. uh, you've got the arrow sighted and then let it go. In the Zen system, as soon as you draw the arrow back fully, you let it go immediately because mm -hmm. you've already got it aimed. The aiming was done while you were drawing the arrow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a lot of form in, in that Zen and the art of archery. They do that a lot. In fact, that's what Zen did with uh, the martial arts is that it slowed them down, it formalized them, it made every little movement um, to be known. This is, in fact, what Tai, uh, tai Chi is all about. That is actually a, um, a kata, a fight between two people, but everything is slowed down to, uh, so that the, uh, the student can learn it correctly. We do that with music, too. That if I'm having trouble with a particular passage, the right way to practice it is very, very slowly to make sure uh -huh. that I've got every note correctly. And then I do it again with every note, not just the, uh, the note correct, but the fingering of the note. You've got to get the fingering correctly. But in fact, a lot of complex sheet music, piano music, will have tiny little numbers under the, uh, the notes showing which finger that note uh -huh. should be played with. That in fact, if you've got, here's the easy way. You've got five fingers and eight notes in a scale. 
How are you going to play the eight notes with five fingers? I don't know. C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. <laughs> you do that fingering. So after you do three fingers, you can't do four and get the thumb under it, but you can do three notes, A, B, C, or C, D, E, and then you can put the thumb under. That's the way. And so all of that has to be very carefully scale correctly. You don't do it up to speed. This is exactly how we should be practicing Anapanasati. Yeah. Exactly so. Scale over and over and over again. Let's see what's going on. Do the investigation. Recognize that this is Dukkha. Say, aha, I see you, Dukkha. We throw this stuff out of the mind. We gladden the mind. We take a deep breath and we become joyful and satisfied that we can do this, we recognize now we feel safe, etc. Okay, and so we keep practicing that little scale over and over and over and over and over again till we get really good at it. Yeah, and then we can use that just like the Zen Archer, or in the case that we're talking about now, we can use that technique right in front of Mr. Grumpy. And we can shoot him right in the heart with our joy. Mm -hmm. yep. Because we've got this procedure down precisely, correctly. Over and over again, we practice. And that's the archery, as opposed to target practice. Archers, uh, Zen archery, is not target practice. They don't practice for the t hitting the target. They practice for the form of the body to get down the process, the procedure, precisely, correctly. And once they let the arrow fly, the Zen archer, in fact, while the arrow is being released, he can turn his head and start walking away. He doesn't even have to stand and wait to see if the arrow hit the target. That's not his job. That's the job of the arrow. His mm. job was to launch the arrow. The arrow is wherever arrows want to go, depending upon the air and the breeze and the uh, gravity changes and all that kind of stuff. So this is a whole new way of looking at it. It's not up to you to change, Mr. Grumpy. Your job is to stay joyful with Mr. Grumpy. And that is like wait a minute, we've been doing everything upside down. We've been always looking <laughs> at the goal rather than looking at the process. It's time to become process-oriented to see, to look at what we're doing. Yep. To look at the process as we're going through it. <laughs> so, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is. Um, I think. I think the reason why I asked that is because I was. Um, it's. It's. It's along similar lines to the way we have been experiencing it 
recently um, that uh, you don't have to. Oh, wait, what's what's a good way of putting it? That, um, yeah, basically that it's it's quite easy to be joyful um, and um, and it's quite easy just to just everything is like quite easy. Um, and yeah, and I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big change to how it used to be. Um, we take so, the yeah. heart out. Yeah. Yeah, we exactly. Turn every important thing back into a toy to play with. Yeah. And everything becomes easy. And then, um, but, oh no, go, go on. ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was um, going to relate that into um, the Anapanasati um, stuff because when we do it and we like it, it's like um, and 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 we and we enter jhana from it. Then um, it's like it's like a voluntary fabrication that we're making mm-hmm. and um yeah all this time i thought it was something different but over the last few days um that side of it really showed itself which is um quite cool yes <clears throat> i think that you were hinting at that john is a thing that we can fall into yeah rather than seeing it as the outcome of having things collected together. Yeah. Looking at it in the sense of general systems theory. Do you know, have you ever heard of general systems theory? Okay. There's, there's the, what they're talking about is systems of things. And that one of the properties of a system is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Really? Perhaps you've heard of that. Okay, let me give you an easy example is a bicycle. The whole is greater than the system of the sum parts. And the sum, uh, of, the the sum parts. of the parts. Right, the whole is greater. Okay, so you take the wheels off the bicycle, take the chain off, take the handlebars off, and all you've got is bicycle parts. What you can do with that? But when ah. you put the wheels back on the bicycle, put the chain back on, put the handlebars back correctly, you've got a functioning bicycle. You're going to add something to it called bicycle riding. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. I thought you meant the physical bicycle. I thought you meant in terms of the physical uh-huh, volume. <laughs> but that's the whole point that people keep missing when they hear the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. What they fail to understand that 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 the, the the sum total that's greater than the sum of the parts is often functionality that the parts themselves don't have individually. But when you put the parts together, it brings up something new that didn't exist before. Yeah. And that in this case is transportation. Well, guess what? The same thing is true with the first jhana. 
that yeah. it's a matter of bringing the factors together. And when you have the factors together working as a system, you've got something more than any individual part could add. There's something new there. Okay, when, when, uh, when the mind is sharp and focused, fit for work. In fact, that's the word that Bhikkhu Dasa uses that we could say would be uh, the functionality of the first jhana is the mind is now fit for work. Yeah. Most of the time our mind is not fit for work. Why? Because we're doing things like the dumb animal. We're doing it because it's important and we got to do it. Yeah. But if we're doing it in first jhana, beautiful. We got the mind focused where the mind is free from the hindrances of this is hard. Yep. This is important. All of that's gone. Now we're just focused on getting her done, and we do it in the sense of, I can do this. This is easy peasy. This is a piece of cake. I've done this before. I can do it again. We ha also have a feeling of safety and security and comfortableness, and then we add on top of that the applied and sustained thought, those five vectors put together. Now we've got a mind that's really fit for work fit for understanding the Dhamma in its depths. So, that's a way of looking at it. Jhana is not something we fall into. Jhana is something that we gather together so that we can gain the benefit of the additional things that are greater than the individual parts themselves. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it is. The Buddha, the Buddha understood that 2,500 years ago, and now we're just coming up with general system theory. Yeah. But that's what the word samati means. It means to gather together the factors. Oh, yeah. Collecting together. Yeah. Collecting together the, the ingredients, just like you would collect together the, the wheels and the tires and the frame and the handlebars, and we gather all those things together, and we've got a bicycle. That's the whole point. So, this is the way to practice, is to keep getting the mind in that state that's really fit for work, and then that's how we want to deal with the world, is when we can get into that state and get it sustained or that it comes back really easily for us. Yeah. All right, and this is what we mean by unremitting, is, is that it's actually fairly easy to bring this back. I find that um, during the workday, um, yeah, it's still, when I'm writing code, it's still, um, it's still very easy to forget. And then, for also for a little while after I finish work, while the mind sort of begins to offload all this stuff. Um, so yeah, so I've I've been trying to um, remember more when I'm writing code, but it's um, yeah, it's uh, need all to right. need to practice a lot more. 
Well, we talked about this last time, but we got into question answering questions. So let's go back to that point that we did have last time, and that is, how can we bring up sati during the day? Okay. Um, let me ask you this. How many times do you get up out of your chair when you're at work? during the day in one day how many times do you the better question would be how many times do you sit down either sit down or get up because it's basically the same number it depends how it varies sometimes i get up quite a few times a day um okay like maybe once an hour sometimes it's like only like twice a day Okay. Um, so, it depends. It varies. Okay, so sometimes you only get up uh, or sit down three or four times a day, and other times you are up and down maybe 10 or 15 times a day. Maybe not 10 or 15, I think. Maybe like maximum 10. Okay, but that would be to go get water, to go get uh, coffee, to go get uh, uh, go to the bathroom. All of those uh, times um, I can maintain um, sati. Um, All right, is, well, we got something great. new to do. Yeah. Okay, and that is every time that you stand up out of the chair, whenever we stand up normally, when we get up out of a chair, we almost always have the intention of going someplace. Yeah. That we rarely just stand up just to stand up that that's almost never done. Almost always when someone stands up is with the intention to go someplace. Occasionally we do stand up because uh, the body is tired and we want to relax it in a new way, to stand up and stretch, so to speak. But generally that's not the case. Generally we stand up to go somewhere. All right? Yeah. So... When we get up to go someplace, that means that we move from a sitting posture to a walking posture. And we bypass the standing posture. We don't, when we get out of the chair, we don't get out of the chair and stand and then walk. We get out of the chair walking. If you've got a swivel chair and you're sitting at your desk, first thing we do is swivel around and then stand up with that first foot on the floor is to give us enough weight to where we can move the next one away from the chair. Yep. All right. So we're going to make a change to that with mindfulness, with sati. And that is, every time that you get out of the chair, you're going to get out of it and stand. And while you're standing, you're going to reflect why did I get out of my comfortable chair? In fact, you've already gotten to the point you don't get out much. Yeah. And so when you do get out, it's got to be something important. <laughs> Funny thing about that. Okay, so you got now to a new job of asking yourself, what was so important that got me out of my comfortable chair? Why? Why am I going? Start looking of the intention and underneath that intention is a feeling yep. <clears throat> sure that going on not just stand up and say well I'm going to the bathroom because I already had that thought when I was in the chair no big deal no here we're going to do 
a, a new process, and that is you're going to stand up, and we're going to say, why am I, where am I going? And in fact, generally, you could say, well, I'm going to do A, B, and C. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I am going to get coffee. I probably will say hi to my neighbor on the way back. And so now I've got three or four things to do. Uh All right. The next one would be whenever you open a door, not when you're just passing through doorways, but when you're opening a door and you've got to actually physically open the door, that's another time to ask yourself, why? Why am I opening this door? Where am I going? Now, Uh other students that I've talked to will say, you know something? When I first started this process, I could get 10 feet away from my before I remembered that I was stand. Uh-huh. What do I do? The answer is you don't go back to the chair and start over again, uh-huh. but you can do it right here, right now, to stop, stand, and say, look at there. I missed that opportunity, but I'll take it now. Where am I going? Why did I get up? And I'm going to have the intention the next time it's not going to be 10 steps. I'm going to be able to just get out of the chair and stand. By the way, there was a, one time last year, Tun was here. We were talking about this, uh, that I was talking with, it, with a student on Skype, and he and I discussed it. And after that, for about a week while he was here, both of us were watching each other. Can you stand? <laughs> without without going can you stand up for three four five seconds take that opportunity to make sure i know that i'm standing and that i got up out of the chair because i had intention or here i am with the handle of the door of the car i'm about to open the car door why why don't want to why do i want to get into that car of course you can come up with answers the fact is, is no, now you're taking mindfulness to start asking those questions. For you also, how do I feel right now? What do I feel? With the opportunity, hey, I could feel better than this, and then we can practice on Apanasati. Okay, so now we've got standing up, getting out of a chair, opening a door. The next one, which is even bigger, is sitting down. Uh-huh. Why do you sit down? Why? Why do people sit in the chair? Because it's comfortable. Precisely. Precisely so. Sit down, take a load off. Relax. We think of a chair uh, inherently with all of those properties, and yet most often we don't. Uh. We sit down on our chair, but we're not comfortable. We don't relax. We immediately start working. Oh, by the way, um, I'm going to have to head off in a few minutes. All right. Well, we'll finish this off, and then we can talk about doing it later. And that is that when you sit down, let's do a full-on anapanasati in the sense of become joyful. Take a few deep breaths with thoughts like, wow, I'm glad I'm not walking anymore. I'm glad I'm not standing. I can actually enjoy the comfort of this chair. 
I really do take a load off. And so you get yourself into a really, really nice state. Every time you sit down, every time you sit down, it's the exact opposite of getting up. Getting up, now is time to investigate. Why am I going? Why, why did I leave my beautiful, wonderful chair? It, it, it was so tushy. <laughs> but now when we're sitting down, it's, oh, wow, I'm so glad to be home. Take a load That's, off. Um... That's interesting as well because when um when during the workday, it's actually it actually feels better to um get up and go do stuff, um because sitting in the chair, it's um because I've just been sitting in the chair for so long, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes, I do. But when I'm not but working, now, then it's the opposite. Right, but now I'm inviting you to do a really deep investigation of all of this stuff, to really take a look yeah. at it. Mm -hmm. So that's the instructions for that, using the chair. Use okay. that chair for a full-on investigation. Full-on, complete relax when you get into it, and full-on, what the hell am I doing getting out of my wonderful chair? <laughs> Where am I going and why? Oh. And you start asking that question of why, and it turns out that there's a little bit perhaps more to it for some of them. Naturally, the answer to going to the bathroom is easy enough. But sometimes we get really, really into the politics, if not the philosophy of it, of why am I standing up to go home? <laughs> yeah. Or why am I standing up to go to work? Why am I getting out of this car? I can sit in the car. I don't have to go in there to work. Yeah. <laughs> you can start reflecting and start looking at what's going on here. Let's take a look at that dumb animal that's in and out of that chair. So go play with this. Enjoy your uh, 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 newfound investigations. Yeah, it will do. All right. So we'll let you go now. I've been, enjoyed this conversation. It's been quite good. Yeah, it has. So we'll see you later, Chintan. Good to see, see you, you too. Myself. I'm glad to see you again. Yeah, glad to see you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.